Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you and a little preview of what is coming up. For our inbox, we have a question from someone who wants to know, is dating someone from another congregation a reason to leave your church or not? How do you make the whole church conversation happen and the decisions that result? So I'm going to weigh in with some thoughts on that. And then for our culture segment, Pastor Jonathan Pitts is back with us to share about his journey after his wife, Winter, uh, passed away very suddenly. And this time he's actually going to answer your questions. So questions about grief and loss and about moving forward in life. And so you don't want to miss it. Well, here we are for our roundtable, and I told you last week when we talked to the ladies about the topic of self-esteem that we would have the guys come and join us as well, and so, hey, uh, this is the week. So um, we're going to have a great conversation. I already told them how well the ladies did last week, so you know if you already heard it. So um, we'll see how they do, you know, and we'll we'll consider this a self-esteem test. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> for, for Peter Emerson and Kennedy, thank you guys for being here. Thanks for, Thanks having, for having us. All right, so let's just start out by by breaking it down because I think people listening in are like, okay, well, everyone thinks of kind of what their own struggles with self-esteem are, but let's talk about some of the things that have come into play for you guys throughout life. And what would you say, what have been the biggest areas for you where Satan has gone after you to really attack you in the area of self-esteem? I think I've felt attacked specifically in the uh, realm of physical appearance when it comes to mm-hmm. self-esteem. I think especially for men, there's an expectation to be strong yeah. and to be, mm-hmm. um, yeah, to, how much do you bench? How much do you squat, right? That These are the questions we ask each other all the time. Um, and so there's a lot of expectation to to fill that. And also uh, on both ends, there's either this attack of I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm weak. Um, but then there's also the other end where um, there's this immense pride in how I can overcome other men in, in that area um, that can... Really, it's just both sides of the, the path there are bad. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a special middle ground that you have to take. Um, that's where I've been attacked personally. Which is so crazy. Okay, this is like wacky because I'm actually in a class with Emerson, like a tra- personal trainer who comes here, and it's co-ed. Mm-hmm. And Emerson is like, I'm like doing four push-ups, and Emerson's like doing 400 or something. <laughs> I haven't counted exactly. But I, I think that just is such a great example of how it doesn't matter what other people say. When we feel like we're falling mm-hmm. short in something, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. I mean, we just, mm-hmm. we will feel attacked. We will feel like we're less than. And so it's not for me to tell you, hey, stop thinking that, mm-hmm. Emerson. That's not, that's totally fake. That's totally whatever. Um, but I also wanted to say that I actually did do four push-ups. I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> good so okay, Peter, how about you? Um, yeah, I think physical appearance, that's definitely something um, that is a struggle sometimes. Um, but also, I think relationships, just like feeling like either I'm not in the social hierarchy, I'm not high enough mm-hmm. <laughs> in mm-hmm. it, um, and or who I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course romantic relationships, you know, mm-hmm. what's your relationship status. Um, all those things can be points that, you know, Satan can really discourage, use to discourage and to get you off track, kind of put you down um, and then kind of prevent you from really living out uh, what God intends for you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, that's good. It was interesting because we actually, we talked about that a little bit last week, um, the whole idea of um, even in, in dating of feeling like we think that talking about leagues is so junior high-ish, but everyone puts themselves in a league and they'll assume there's people that they could date and people mm-hmm. they can't date and people that would never go out with them and people like, and again, it really is. It's just that thing where you make assumptions and you don't know what's true or what's not. So mm-hmm. good thoughts there. Yeah. Kennedy. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think, you know, physical appearance, relationships, those are all things that I think a lot of guys struggle with as well. Uh, for me, in general, a lot of it was actually a lot of verbal communication. Hmm. It was a lot of like social anxiety, a lot of, oh, I hope I said that just right, because if I didn't, everyone's going to be laughing at me behind my back. Mm-hmm. You know, um, 12 hours later, you know, I'm, I'm laying in bed thinking about like, oh, man, I could have said that better or I could have done this better or you know I'm just not relating to people well enough and so that was something that I had struggled with for a long time. Hmm. 
Do you think it's interesting you say that the whole idea of social anxiety, because I, I often wondered, is this a personality thing or is it a gender thing? Or maybe it just affects everyone. That idea, like I've heard people say like, oh, I can't stand it. I feel like everyone's watching me or what, you know, you could be like at a networking event where it's like, there's like a hundred people in the room, but you, it, you just somehow feel conspicuous. Like, why is that? I I have no <laughs> Tell idea. Tell us, Kennedy. Come on. <laughs> Solve this. I mean, you, you see it get to like ridiculous standards at points. I remember specifically at some points, you know, when I was in high school, I would be walking down the hallway and I would just start thinking, I'm not walking good enough, you wow. know? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, and people yeah. are noticing how bad I'm walking, mm-hmm. you know? And it's, you know, it's stuff like that where it's like no one's actually thinking that really, mm-hmm. unless you're like doing some really funky walk, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But, um, but, you know, no one's thinking about that. And I, I've talked to a lot of people about it, you know? I've talked to people who describe themselves as introverts, extroverts, it doesn't matter, men, women, they all... I've met people who all have encountered the same thing where they just feel like the entire world is staring at them. It's kind of like the opposite of the world revolves around me, Mm -hmm. except that it revolves around me, but it's revolving in order to judge me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's Mm -hmm. good. That reminds me of uh, one of our contributors, Joshua Rogers. I think he had this on social at one point or it was a meme and it was something about the idea of like, no one is thinking badly about you because seriously, no one is thinking about you. <laughs> like yeah. Everyone's so busy yeah. thinking about themselves and how people are perceiving them that yeah. we're all so like wrapped up in that. It is, yeah, it can be pretty, yeah. pretty nutty. Well, that's where I think, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is jumping ahead, but it's like, I think that a lot of times the root of self-esteem is pride. Mm-hmm. It's thinking like overemphasizing yourself and how important you are, um, and how like how you look to other people is so important mm-hmm. and even to your point Emerson about pride around how you look physically mm-hmm. and it's like that is a sin that's not a good thing to have a bunch of pride mm-hmm. <laughs> um but it's something that the devil uses and distorts in many different ways i think self-esteem is one of them yeah mm-hmm. it's interesting it makes me think of um you know i've read this in the past how most people love I mean this totally makes sense people love being around people who make them feel good about themselves who build Mm -hmm. them up you know and we have the opportunity to do that and I know um you know this is kind of like an an older dude but he was for a long time like a leadership expert and whatnot John Maxwell and he was just known like people would say when he would talk to you and shake your hand you felt like you were the only person in the room Mm -hmm. like he would look you in the eye he would ask you great questions he would be and this is like you know to Peter's point this is a guy who's like a big deal. I mean, he's written books, people. I mean, he has like <laughs> leadership courses and all this kind of stuff. But to be that person who's like, I don't care how many Instagram followers you have. I don't care what your platform is. I don't care what you've done or haven't done or whatever. I just want to get to know you as a person. And and it's, it, you know, we think that to win friends and influence people and be that person, we have to just be some kind of like, it almost like it breeds arrogance and stuff, but really it's the people who care about other people that everyone wants to be their friend. So that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about what do you think? Um, Cause you, you guys mentioned like physical appearance and a couple other things and, you know, shocker, the women did too. I mean, everyone, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everyone is so, you know, everyone thinks everyone looks better than they do. Okay. So that was, that was a similarity there, but are there any unique ways that men you think would struggle or, or areas of self-esteem that men struggle with a little bit more or in a different way than women would? I think immediately one of the burdens that particularly men struggle with, uh, and obviously I can't speak for women, but Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, there's a biblical uh, standard of leadership for men. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of men struggle with in Mm -hmm. terms of, am I doing that adequately enough? Am I doing it wrong? Am I doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to like, okay, well, if I am called to eventually become a leader of a family, how do I do that? Because, and especially in a an age when a lot of men aren't very good leaders mm-hmm. and there aren't very many role models for a lot of men to look at, it's something where you, a lot of men, including myself, have often wondered, 
am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Am I pushing too hard? Am I pushing too little? Mm-hmm. You know, and then that just builds a lot of self-doubt and a lot of kind of uh, self-worthlessness, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, that's a good one. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's um, there's a part of that with like almost every situation. I can say for myself, like almost every situation, it's like I have to walk away from it and be like, ooh, am I good with how... I handled that was I a leader in that situation Mm -hmm. and if not then that can be really deflating Mm -hmm. Um, and especially I think in in our stage of life when you're still kind of developing um, those leadership skills or you're you're still trying to um, yeah just figure out life (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, it's sometimes hard like you're saying Kennedy um, to be super confident when you're really self-critical and feel like in general a lot of people are looking to you for leadership, for you to be strong in certain situations. Yeah. And isn't it interesting? Because I know, I mean, every one of the ladies listening is going to disagree with me on this, but most men will say, yeah, like most women in your sphere seem so strong. And so then it's kind of like, well, where's the place for me? What am I doing? Like women are very, you know, because we're told to be confident and self-assured and, you know, go after stuff and be hungry and be, you know, hustle and all this stuff. And so then I think a lot of guys are just like, okay, how do I fit into this matrix of what this Mm -hmm. looks like? So it can Mm -hmm. create a lot of confusion because it makes you even ask like, what is leadership, you know, on that front? Um, well, since we talked about that, let's bring up another sore spot um, for men. And that's the whole issue of like feelings and competing in the emotional landscape or sharing, you know, again, because even especially within the church, it's like, here's stuff that's prized now, vulnerability, the ability to connect with other people, the ability to enter into that. You know, if I if I were to say, I mean, here we are in the average church and women are like, buying every book study out there and sitting around with their lattes and like let's dig into this and the guys are just like where are we going with this what's going on (laughs) so talk about that about the whole feelings landscape emotions how you come to play in that I was actually just talking with some friends today about this topic um, because there seems to be a pendulum that is just swinging back and forth, right, mm-hmm. with culture and that, you know, there's one side that's like no feelings, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're this tough as a nail guy that never talks about his feelings and never cries. And there's the other side where you can swing too far and it's all about feelings and I want to please other people. And it's people pleasing ultimately mm-hmm. is what it can come down mm-hmm. to. Um, there's a healthy middle ground, I would say, um, where you can share in humility, right, your flaws um, and hope to grow from it. That actually represents a, a greater strength within you and uh, a willingness to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but also there's an element of, of leadership that you mentioned, Kennedy, and self-sacrifice and protection that I think men are called into, especially leaders of families, um, that in a moment of crisis when your children or your wife need you to be um, the stronger or or to be a pillar, a foundation for that family or that family member, you will sacrifice your own feelings or emotions to support them. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a healthy middle ground uh, that you have to have with both. Um, it can't be all tough as nails, right? Never going sh- mm-hmm. to shed a tear, never going to show emotion um, because kids also need to see that too, mm-hmm. um, your children, mm-hmm. uh, as well as your brothers alongside you um, mm-hmm. so that we can bear one another's burdens, right? Biblically, yeah. that's what we should be doing. Yeah, I mean, it says very clearly in Ecclesiastes, it says there is a time for mourning. It doesn't say mm-hmm. for women, you know? It yeah. Says, <laughs> it, yeah. There is a yeah, time for point. mourning for mm-hmm. men and women. Um, and I think that's something, I mean, that was something that another insecurity I had was that I wasn't good at showing emotion for a long time mm-hmm. because I grew up with that kind of mentality of you got to be the strong guy. And I think a lot of men have conflated the strong guy with, never dealing with emotions. I think that's why you see such high rates of depression and suicide within men Mm -hmm. is because they never deal with these issues. Mm -hmm. But when I got to college and, you know, I joined a group of uh, biblically based college men who, you know, they came around me and I felt like for the first time I could open up and there wouldn't be shame and there wouldn't be, you know, anyone making fun of me for it. And, I grew in my faith so fast Mm -hmm. because I realized that I could come to these men with all my burdens and my sins and all of my shame and all of my emotions. And I, you know, I Mm -hmm. cried on their shoulders a couple of times and they didn't bring it up like, hey, you remember when you cried on my shoulder, you know, but, you know, they were there to give me a hug and then 
we got back up, you know, because yeah. it was something I needed at the time. Yeah, that's good. And I still need it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Shoulders right here, Candy. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Exactly. Yeah. I was hoping maybe you would have a little tear during that, Kennedy, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you a pass uh, on this. So. Like I said, it's, it's hard to show okay. the emotions. <laughs> <laughs> when you're actually taping a segment for a show. Okay, we, we understand. So, okay, how, um, let's talk about examples of how what does it look like to tackle issues of self-esteem? Like, what does it mean to, I mean, because clearly, you know, we know from scripture that God doesn't want us to, emotion is great, but God doesn't want us to sit in a pit. He doesn't want us, I mean, we, we know we have victory through Christ. We know we have our identity in him, that we have to speak truth to ourselves. But how can we both do that? And also, how can men help fellow men kind of be the, the, you know, help them shore up uh, some of those feelings of weakness and move forward kind of with, with confidence in Christ. Yeah, I think it relates kind of to what you guys were speaking to the last question of community, mm-hmm. of being vulnerable in the right situations and with, with other guys. Yeah, I think like it's so easy when you're struggling with self-esteem to be very inward focused. Um, but when we open ourselves up to to other guys who can encourage us, that just kind of breaks that shell that we put around ourselves and can, can really, yeah, can kind of get us out of it or, again, put us back on track for what God is wanting for us. Like, practically, um, words of affirmation is something that's really important. So, like, uh, I even have a friend who does this, um, not with me, but <laughs> um, where they're like, okay, I have, I have a really close friend and when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling like low self-esteem, I just go to them and I say, hey, I'm feeling down right now. Can you just like encourage me? Mm-hmm. And I think that sounds selfish, but it's actually less selfish than just like holding everything in yourself and then not being available for anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one practical way. There's so many other things, but yeah, community, being open with other guys, um, encouraging others, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. And just to that point, you know, and anyone can answer this, I mean, do you guys feel like that legitimately happens or is there too much a spirit of competition of like, oh, you know, it's it's hard. And again, some of it comes down to maturity. Like who are the guys that really can, you know, build a brother up, you know, even though it doesn't mean that they're, it's just going to shine the spotlight on them. But but what does that look like for the guy that's listening and is like, I wish that happened, but I feel like all the guys around me are so scrabbling for their own place in the sun or their own position or whatever. What is, how do you deal with that? I would encourage the, the listener who's wrestling with that specifically, mm-hmm. right? They're, maybe they don't have that community mm-hmm. um, to create it. Mm-hmm. I think usually it starts with you. Um, oftentimes, I'm the first one to share in Bible study my mm-hmm. wrestles with sin mm-hmm. or uh, this thing that's going on in my life that's tough. And then and then it's a it's a train after that. It's the next person oh, I'm wrestling with that, too. Or, yeah. oh, me too, man. And then let's come alongside one another and build this community. Um, often the guys that are, you know, you think you're competing with are the ones that are probably wrestling with the same things as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so be the first one to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it maybe it'll take a little while for them to open up about it, but um, continually just humbling yourself before God and before them and showing them that you want to improve will hopefully encourage them to want to improve as well. Yeah. Um, I wanted to speak to something that Peter mentioned earlier about words of affirmation. There's, yeah. Uh, when it comes to men, there's such a unique area that I think is totally <laughs> different than women in that, like, in this joking, um, that's also affirming. Um, I think about the times when I go to the gym and <laughs> I have a friend and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bench press and he's like, oh, when are you going to put weights on? <laughs> and, and there's a, you know, there's this funny joking that happens that yeah. I find also encouraging when you know it's mm-hmm. from a loving heart, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'll see him stretching. He's like, oh, you're not going to stretch? It's like, oh, what are you, old? <laughs> you know, you know, we're just joking back and forth. There's an element of that that I think is helpful that is healthy in mm-hmm. men, um, obviously not degrading or demeaning mm-hmm. um, or, yeah, just directing towards character, but rather um, there's an element of joking that can be uniquely uplifting, I think, with men. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to, to build off that, sorry, um, is like, I think sometimes it can be awkward to give words of affirmation to people. Um, but if you say something maybe sarcastic, it's a little easier to say <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and gets across the same point. Yeah, so, yeah, that's good. 
Okay, so final question here, and this is where I need you guys to put your objective hats on because I asked the women the same, the flip of this question. Okay, what for the women listening, how can they help brothers in Christ with issues of self-esteem or build, walk forward confidently? And I need none of you to say that we need to laugh at all of your jokes if they're horrible, because <laughs> I just will not. I'm just telling you, I'm not going to go there. I'm not just laughing at anything for the sake of laughing at it. Okay. I'm just telling you that right now. But no, what are some legitimate ways of how women, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, I want to date you, so let me encourage you or whatever, but just solid ways of like sisters in Christ being able to build up men in ways that they might not be thinking of. Well, you took our only answer. So. <laughs> I know. I'm like, now you're just at a loss. So where do we go with that? I don't know. No, I think... Uh, okay, we'll chuckle. We'll, we'll give you a chuckle. Okay, we'll, we'll compromise. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think there's... I think you have to be careful at first because there's obviously different levels of appropriateness for that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, your wife is going to be, obviously is more than encouraged to mm-hmm. help build you up in ways that a lot of other women, women, it would not be appropriate mm-hmm. for them to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in general, though, um, everybody, uh, male and female, everyone likes being told that, you know, they're running hard, they're doing good in the faith. If they actually are, don't just say it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like. If you see them, you know, serving the kingdom well, tell them, you mm-hmm. know, if you see that they're, you know, they're not having such a good day, you know, talk to them about it. Don't obviously there's like I said, there's a limit. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if it's too personal of a thing, mm-hmm. uh, men and women probably shouldn't be talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in general, it's really more of a kind of like checking in kind mm-hmm. of thing, I would say, where it's you know, men, you share those things with other men, you know, and you're in the appropriate context in your small groups, whatever uh, it may be. But in terms of women, you can still open up a little bit. Obviously, you should know your limit and you know when you're going too far. But I think in general, just having that uh, every so often just being encouraged is so helpful. I think men you know i've experienced this we men don't get complimented as much as Mm -hmm. women i think is a Mm -hmm. pretty fair statement to say Mm -hmm. and you'll i mean i've seen jokes online where guys are like holding on to a compliment they got 10 years ago about a haircut (laughs) you know (laughs) and that's what's and they keep getting the the same haircut (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah, for 10 years (laughs) and so you know stuff like that where it's just you know Mm -hmm. um Brothers in Christ, yeah, you you are called to be leaders, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that you don't need support every so often, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't be ashamed if you have to look for that. And uh, other men, other women, you should not be afraid to give that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, to that point, like, if you can give a genuine compliment about a guy and his leadership ability or skills or qualities or just even a moment mm-hmm. where, like, oh, hey, like, Thanks for leading that Bible study. It was really good. Like, mm-hmm. thanks for, uh, like Emerson, thanks for, you know, starting off our time and being really vulnerable. That speaks volumes. Like, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it is too, it's it's more related to the eternal things than physical appearance or, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't think, I don't know. It's kind of awkward anyways if a girl's like, oh, you know, your body looks great. It's like, I never <laughs> want to hear that. I never want to yeah. hear that. <laughs> Um, I feel creeped out even with you. <laughs> yeah, it was, no. Okay. Uh, but like the leadership qualities and and like what we're, we've talked mm-hmm. about through this whole uh, segment is like um, leadership is such a big thing for men. And yeah. so if you can point out those things, it's it's great. Yeah, that's good. I would think even, um, you know, that I, I always like to find guys and catch them while they're serving someone else, especially if they're not doing it in a way that's seen. So helping out one of the elderly folks at church or volunteering for BBS or to pitch in for a Sunday school class or something like that and just be like, that was super awesome. I mean, doing hard things where you're stepping up and you're not doing something selfish. I think that's a big deal, too. And so um, I think we have the chance to affirm one another in that way. So. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys, great thoughts here. Thank you so much for really opening up about this. I think it it really goes a long way in us understanding this and us feeling like we're not alone when it comes to issues of self-esteem. And so um, I just really appreciate you guys weighing in and hopefully we can all spur one another on as we grow in this area. So thanks much. As he uses-
Folks, here we are for this week's culture segment. And if you heard last week's segment, you know that we were in a conversation with Jonathan Pitts. Um, He is a pastor in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, He is the author of uh, the book My Winter Season. He's the former executive director of the Urban Alternative. He is related, um, his previous marriage to Winter, um, and again, the book My Winter Season, uh, linked him to the Evans family. You know, we've had every member of the Evans family, Tony, Priscilla, excuse me, all of them on here. And um, Winter passed away unexpectedly several years ago now at the age of 38. And uh, this book really chronicles, in fact, if you were with us last week, you heard Jonathan describe how writing the book was just a very good process for him, a very good experience for him in processing grief. And so we've been talking a little bit about grief. And this week for our culture segment, we want to just ask some questions um, of him. I know some of you have submitted questions ahead of time, and so we want to get to those uh here and uh and jonathan i want to welcome you back to the boundless show it's good to be back with you (laughs) all right well thank you okay um so we finished out by you kind of um and again folks if you're listening now this week for the first time you got to go back and listen to last week because we kind of tell the story there of um his four daughters and kind of um he has since uh recently remarried um and is is pastoring like i said in tennessee And so um, let me go ahead and just kick it off with one of the questions that we received here on social media, Jonathan, for you. Um, And I think I think this is good. And these are going to kind of run the gamut. So it's really interesting. Um, Someone asked, what are some spiritual disciplines that you've grown in through your journey of grief? Yeah, um, one I've grown in, I'm still not great at, but I'm better at would be uh, silence and solitude, Mm. like just really sitting you know, it's funny as you, you notice it in little things like I actually and I do credit PETA, my wife, to, for this is like I'm reading differently. I'm reading more slowly, specifically scripture mm-hmm. and just kind of more internalizing and then just reading to try to get through something and just to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but r- honestly, like with silence and solitude, one of the things that was impossible to do, I'm kind of type A, I'm kind of a driver. And when winter passed away, like I had no mental capacity for at least six weeks, if not two months to really process anything like multitasking was impossible and processing longer than a certain amount of time without just needing a break. It was impossible. So I began actually my counselor suggested like just sit, set a timer and just force yourself to sit quietly. And so I started with like three minutes and then I did five minutes. I'd work my way up to where I was doing like for me, like 30 minutes is a long time to sit quietly. So doing that, so that, that would be one that was, I don't do that as often, but I know when I start to feel really overwhelmed by, let's just call it, I don't know, work or chaos or even like feelings, feeling overwhelmed, like being able to just sit quietly and breathe deeply is something I've grown in. I wouldn't say reading scripture because I've, I've always have a, had a healthy appetite for scripture. But again, like reading it thoroughly and reading it not just to get through it, but reading it to just really ask God to transform my mind as I'm in Scripture would be another. Mm-hmm. Um, prayer as a um, more casual process with my dad rather than, mm. you know, a request from my father. Like mm-hmm. literally just sitting with this God who not only made me but loves me. Like just more regular prayer is probably another one. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's really good. Awesome. Um, Yeah. And just as we're here, I want to remind you guys that if you are listening live as we're taping this live to tape, feel free to just raise your hand digitally if you want to get in um, with one of the questions. I know a lot of you have submitted these ahead of time, so that's fine, too. I have another one. Can I show another one? And Jonathan has another spiritual. Yes, you can. This is actually one not only that I've learned, but I've actually taught on and I've really enjoyed because it, it really, for me, summarizes 
what I'm going to seek to do through any, I always say grief is just dealing with lost expectation. So anytime I expect one thing and God allows something different, gives something different, what I want to do is choose to celebrate. So mm-hmm. scripture says Philippians 4, 8, whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's honorable, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things or dwell on these things. And that was actually referred to by like older saints as the discipline of celebration. And um, it's one of the things that I've really sought to do in everything. In some ways, I naturally did it. Like even when I was writing the stories in the book, all of that was like pulling on like what God was doing and what I was seeing mm-hmm. despite difficulty. Mm-hmm. But even now, like I find myself in like the smallest of ways stressing about little things and what's God doing here or there and having to choose to celebrate and see his goodness rather than to see my own despair about whatever little thing might be there. It's something that I've that I had, I think, innately have grown in and really desire for people to know because mm-hmm. if all we see is what we see, we'll never see all there is to be seen. That's what Tony Evans would say. It's a mm-hmm. quote I love by him, <laughs> which summarizes that scripture. Like yeah. look for what God is doing outside of what you feel or outside of what you see in your circumstances. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting because I think one of the reasons we wanted to have this conversation with you is, you know, coming off of a pandemic where, you know, because again, we wouldn't normally just be like, hey, let's talk about grief every day with 20 somethings. But there are a lot in our audience who lost, whether it was a parent or a grandparent, maybe to COVID and stuff. And Mm -hmm. this was their first jarring experience of grief. What's your counsel to the person who really is in that struggle? Um, And it sounds like you you walked a lot of steps leading leading up to this that really prepared you to walk through your season of grief. But that person that's just like they have experienced grief, they've experienced a loss, and they're finding themselves drifting from the Lord, or they're in a blame and shame game, or they're something, they're just like, I don't even know if I want to go back into Christian community. I don't even mm. know how to reach out to people. I just feel like I'm sinking. What would be your first uh, steps of advice? Well, one, I can relate. I, I'll never forget. So, I would say I had like this healthy grief season from like January of 2019 through the spring um, of 2020. And so COVID is beginning right as I'm coming out of that. And my 40th birthday was on March 24th of, of that year of 2020. And I was like all expectant, like almost like God owes me. I wouldn't say that, but like in my mind, it was like I had this golf trip to Pebble Beach and I was excited about what my future was going to look like. And then COVID hit. And all of a sudden I'm celebrating my birthday at home with my four daughters and they made these two beautiful cakes for me, but I was like sad. Like I was like, Oh, like I expected newness of life and I expected God to do something. And all of a sudden it's like, Nope, you're going to just sit here at home and the world's going to shut down. And so I, I've been there. I've had that feeling and like almost like this hopeless feeling of like, Oh, well I guess I'm even like resigning to just be whatever, like just, I'm just resigning. Cause I don't think most people listening to this podcast are going to are like, Maybe, but like, they're not like, I hate you, God, but they're probably resigning to just be like, whatever, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to pursue what I want to pursue. And mm-hmm. I've kind of been there, um, just resigning myself to, in a way it was like kind of despair. And I was, I was, if you look at pictures of me on that 40th birthday, I look super sad. <laughs> it's kind of funny looking back on now, but like what I would say to them is there's always hope and there's always something that God has for you in the future. And what's crazy for me is it would actually be 40 days after that 40th birthday that I would get a text from a guy. And I'm not, this isn't me saying that every single one of these people are going to find like a spouse or something like that. But it was 40 days after that 40th birthday that I would be texted by this guy named Darren who felt like God told him to introduce me to my now wife. Mm -hmm. And one, if I wouldn't have grieved that season, I wouldn't have been ready for her. And, um, if I wouldn't have gone through all I went through, I wouldn't actually be ready for the rest of the things that I would have to grieve. And there's so much more grief that I had so many more things I had to let go of Mm -hmm. so much more that I had to let go of in order to receive what God had for me for the future. And so my advice would just be to trust that there's always hope that God always has something new. He's always trying to redeem. He's always trying to restore. He's always trying to make new. Mm -hmm. And the only thing we can do is actually just trust that because we can't see it. And so I would just say, um, you know, um, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Like God asks us to do it and it's not, he, he says it's not really, you can't, you're not going to see it. You're mm-hmm. not going to know it. We can only know it by faith. And so I just ask anybody listening just to one more day, just to trust by faith. Like, and also lean on what God's done in the past. If God's ever done anything for you in the past, mm-hmm. look at that to, to remember what he can actually do in the future. And if you don't have that, if you don't have a record of God doing something for you in the past, borrow it from somebody else who does. Okay. Like, that's okay. my story. Like, yeah. I, borrow it from me. Like, I've got it. Yeah. Like, I've seen it. So, yeah. Anyway. 
Well, I also do have to mention, because as I said before, I was able to meet um, PETA before we came in here into the studio, and she is an Australian, so a special shout out to all of our Australian <laughs> listeners who I know are going to be very excited to hear that, So, because sometimes they just think, like, all you guys do is care about the U.S. and whatever, and I'm like, no, we, we talk to our international listeners, too, and we love you. Well, um, what's crazy is God's connecting. Like, I, I mean, she's like halfway or all the, I don't know how you say it, halfway or all the way around the world. Other side like of the world. like all the way. Yeah, I mean, and God, and you know, like she has her own story and God's like literally brought redemption to her, brought redemption to me and God's like somehow, some way like this puppet master kind of make all these <laughs> things happening in the backgrounds of all of our lives and he can, he can literally grab something, someone, some situ- something totally random to you and transform your life through it. So Yeah, yeah. that's true. Okay, one of our folks um, wants to know any passage of scripture that particularly either came alive during that season or is being very meaningful to you right now. Yeah, two. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. Hmm. I would just say my story is one of God rescuing me and him rescuing me through his people that were just on mission, ready to meet needs, ready to grieve with those who grieve, you know, Mm -hmm. mourn with those who mourn. Um, that would be one. And then the other would be, um, it's a proverb three, maybe. Um, but, um, it was a scripture. I actually memorized it cause I was afraid to fly. I flew with Dr. Evans every week almost for a number of years. So I flew way too much to be afraid to fly. <laughs> and to the point where he would just laugh at me cause I'm like gripping the seats and I'm sweating. Aww. And I memorized this scripture, have no fear of sudden death, the ruin that overtakes the wicked for the Lord is at your right side and will keep your foot from being snared. What's funny is I memorized that scripture thinking about that God would save me from dying in a plane crash. Hmm. And thank God he gave me that scripture because I actually got over my fear of flying through that scripture and then just like relaxing. And now I just relax. I'm like, God's in control anyway. But what's crazy is when winter passed away, I realized that scripture had more to do, had less to do with keeping you from death and more to do with your foot not being snared even in the face of death. Hmm. That even for winter, like she left this earth in a hurry she died like she experienced physical death but even in experiencing physical death her foot wasn't snared like Mm. she is now in eternity with jesus her life is better now than it was that's what Mm -hmm. we believe like that's actually the reality of the life of a christian and so like that's that was a beautiful scripture that um i've actually like really tried to instill that one into my girls especially one of my girls who's always got a lot of fear um, yeah just around death and different things yeah it's interesting because i feel like that also goes in tandem with the the whole concept of you know we, we don't grieve as those without hope because i've lost both my parents and just in that i mean i remember when my dad died of cancer it was like it was so um comforting for me to realize it's like god just said lisa you know, he's totally chill. I mean, to know that I didn't have to, because I was so like a a type A protector and I was going to juice him out of cancer and I was just taking control and trying to like mm. do, you know, fix all the circumstances and stuff. And it really was like, wow, you know, he is, his circumstances are so much better. He's not, he would never choose to return here. <laughs> and mm. then it was like, I could focus on my own grief and my own healing. And I felt like that was a gift uniquely from God. Yeah. And then you can also just trust you know, for me, like I'm, I can trust that I'm okay to keep moving forward. Cause I think that the, the challenge is, uh, and my counselor told me this, like all of us are in one of two places. We either don't want to leave the past. We're stuck in the past. We want to dwell in the past. And some of us are, like run straight into the future, like mm. running from that. <laughs> for me, I'm like running forward and God had to kind of slow me down, but mm. some people get stuck back here and God wants, and, but he said like, God can only be with us in the present. He mm-hmm. can't be with us in the past. He can't, he's in the past and he's in the future, but he can only be with us in the present. Mm-hmm. And so choose to be present with him. It's the only place he can actually, you know, encourage you, be with you, restore you, help you, build you up, you know? Yeah. That. No, that's great. All right, let's go ahead and go to this question here because um, I want to make sure that you have a chance to take a stab at this. Someone just says straight up, how do I know if I'm ready for marriage? (laughs) That's a big question. (laughs) You know, um, yeah, in just, you know, a minute or a minute and a half there. I'm I'm going to give the most annoying um, answer, but I think it's the only one that matters. Okay. You know you're ready for marriage when you're willing to die for somebody. Hmm. And not just die physically, but die for their needs. Mm-hmm. The the Bible says, um, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for their, up for her. Mm-hmm. It, basically, uh, when Paul's saying that he's describing Christ's relationship with the church. So that's for men and for women that, you know, I think our ability to do marriage well is our ability to die to our needs, to serve the needs of our spouse. Mm-hmm. And if we're not willing to do that, then we're not ready for marriage. Mm-hmm. 
And maybe we're not actually in a place where we're supposed to be with that person if we're not willing to lay our lives down. And that's not, I'm not just saying like physical death or even like big things, but small ways like die to your need to be right or die to your need to um, have things a certain way. And, you know, um, for me now, like my wife, Peter, like the reality is like, I have to be willing to die for her needs, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, it's kind of like a, I feel, it's almost like, I feel like a morbid thing to say, but it's reality and it's what Christ did for us. Yeah. And it's actually the sign of love. Yeah. Well, and it is so good because it speaks to, like I always say, when we talk about dating here at Boundless, I say, you know, it's the people that should be getting married are grownups, Mm -hmm. you know, or the people that should be dating, quite frankly, are grown. That's why I'm not a huge fan of like teens dating. I'm like, Mm -hmm. what is the purpose of this exclusive relationship with a 13 year old, you know, but the idea that grownups, um, the person who is humble and teachable and willing to serve and that, hello, uh, singles, we're supposed to be doing that too. It's not just like you start serving people when you get married. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, actually Winter used to say this. She wanted the girls to have healthy friendships and learn how to do relationship well. Cause you certainly can't die for somebody that you don't already have like a decent relationship with. So if you're young, I would just say focus on healthy relationship in general. Mm-hmm. There's lots of skills that we often learn that maybe we didn't learn in our family of origin because of whatever our families have walked through. Mm-hmm. Learn healthy relationship. Then when you're willing to die for a person and you know that, that to me is the sign of like, yes, this is the person that God has for me. Yep. That's good. Um, okay. So, and clearly I would say, cause someone here is saying, what are characteristics I should be looking for in a spouse? Well, that yeah. <laughs> look for someone that, you know, is going to be self-sacrificing in that as yeah, well. Yeah, And you want to, I mean, obviously like on the more normal things, like God made attraction. So you want to be attracted to them, not just physically, by the way, mm-hmm. like emotionally in all the different ways. And so there's lots more to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is, that's very good. So, okay. Um, this is really a, a good one. I think, I mean, we could probably even talk about this, you know, finish out here, Jonathan, cause this is turning a corner a little bit as a, a pastor and someone that has worked a lot in, in ministry and with churches. Uh, this person's asking, what makes a healthy local church and really what should I be looking for in a church to plug in and, uh, and really get involved and make it my church? One thing I'll say to begin with that probably the answer that this person wasn't looking for, but I think is a good thing to think about is the best thing to look for in a healthy church is the, ver- the healthiest version of you. Like you are the church. If you're in Christ, you are the church. And the best thing you can seek to make that church healthy is be healthy yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, like we're all in different ways. We're all, we're all in every way human. We're all in different ways, sinful. And to the degree that we're working on ourselves will be to the degree that the church that we're in can be healthy. You know, it's it's all individual contributors working together. Um, But on the other side of that, um, I think having a church that's like for one, which I don't think it, I think it needs to be said is that they're actually teaching the Bible, Mm -hmm. that you're actually reading scripture, Mm -hmm. Um, that you're actually, uh, I just heard this recently. It's like such a good way to think about it, that, that scripture is going in front of anything else, mm-hmm. politics, religion, mm-hmm. um, culture, um, yeah. music, all the things that we're putting scripture in front of that. Justice. And, yeah. Justice. Yeah. Like scripture is going in front of that thing so that, that there's a healthy, um, love for and diet of scripture from the pulpit and then outside of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think like uh, a healthy worship culture. That's a church that wants to worship Jesus. And that can look lots of different ways. It can look super um, charismatic and expressive. And it can also look not so expressive and more reverent. And it's, I think God works in all those different ways. And so it's actually interesting. I think what I appreciate now is where you can find a healthy blend of all that. We can Mm -hmm. find different people that worship God different ways that are focused in on the person of Jesus and his word and, um, that are growing comfortable, comfortable being around people not like them. My hope and my prayer is that the church is getting more and more diverse. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that's not diverse is our love for Jesus and that there's other things that are very diverse because the body of Christ is so different. You mm-hmm. know, I've really been leaning to that scripture like First uh, Corinthians 12, I think. The hand can't say to the eye, I have no need of you. And it's all these different body parts. Mm-hmm. I can't, you can't say that you have need because for us as humans, we're basically always like, oh, I want to be around people like me the part of the body that are like me because I'm comfortable there. But the reality is the body's not the body without all the different parts. And so bring the healthiest, best version of you to that church. Know that you're going to be around people different than you and be ready for somebody to hurt you because there's all kinds of humans in the body and be willing to bring the same forgiveness to those people that Christ brought to you. Yeah, so, that's yeah. good. All right. Well, let's go. Um, we do have Andrew who wants to ask his own question in person. And so we'll bring him in here. So Andrew, go ahead. 
Hey, Jonathan. I just had a quick question for you. What is your favorite book in the Bible? Hmm. <laughs> it changes, honestly, from time to time. Um, Jonah recently, it's such a challenging book to us as believers about what it looks like to engage culture and what it looks like to love and to forgive. So that, that recently, that's probably been one. Um, but like over a lifetime, uh, Romans, it's actually interesting. I found my Bible, my um, high school, college Bible. It's like a maroon old school fake leather Bible. I just found <laughs> it recently cleaning out a bookshelf. And when I flipped into Romans 8, I remembered it was there. But in Romans 8, Romans eight twenty eight, which is a scripture a lot of us know, um, that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And every time I had a moment in my life where I saw that to be true, I put an X hmm. and then I put like a date, like I dated my girl's births and dated my graduations and just had all these moments where I was marking that. And it's kind of cool because Romans is this book that talks about like the despair of sin. Like, I mean, if you're reading Romans one through three um, and you don't feel like deeply challenged and off put by your own sin and the sin of this world, then it's, it, you're probably not reading it that deeply, but it's like so comprehensive about the nature of sin, but also the gift of God and how God works things together for good. So probably Romans would be one of my, I haven't read it in a little while. Um, yeah, but Romans probably. Yeah. All right. Well, that is great. Um, well, folks, thank you for submitting your questions. We have been talking to Jonathan Pitts again, um, pastor, author, um, and we've specifically been talking about his journey through grief after his wife Winter died, and then just quite frankly, throwing some random questions at him too. So, um, but I do want to remind you that the book, My Winter Season, is available here at Boundless for a gift of any amount. We want to give this book to you so that you can start a conversation with folks in your sphere um, around walking through the experience of grief. And this is like, you know, just because you're younger doesn't mean that grief doesn't hit and you haven't walked through your own hard season. And so, um, again, my winter season, seeing God's faithfulness in the shadow of grief. And if you go to boundless.org, you can search 744. That's this week's episode. And uh, you'll just see the book uh, cover there. Click on it. Give a gift, whatever you can afford to Boundless for the stuff that we already do that you enjoy and participate in. And we'll send this book as our thank you to you. So, Jonathan, thanks again for joining us and telling your own story and the hopefulness of the story that you have ahead. God isn't done yet. And so um, we're just glad that we could have a window in on that and gain encouragement from it as well. Yeah. Thanks for having me on and trusting me. As we finish out the show, we get to open up our inbox where we answer a listener question. And this week, I'm going to go ahead and answer the question. Um, we have a, a question that came in from someone who says, should women be open to leaving their church if they start dating someone? Or is it okay for a woman to say she doesn't want to leave her church once she starts dating a guy? So um, this is a, a common question because especially as people become more transient and especially maybe they're online and so they're not necessarily just meeting someone at their church, they're like, hey, what does this look like? How do we be in a relationship if like our church lives are so different and distant? And so great question. Thanks for writing in. I think there are a few factors at play here. Um, they are timing, like the timing of the situation in the relationship, the seriousness of the relationship, and then your proximity to each other and the experiences that you have and kind of 
where you are in your church lives and whatever. So I, I want to say first off that I feel like if this is early in a relationship, you are just casually dating, you're getting to know someone. Um, I would say, no, this does not involve changing churches because the level of commitment that you two have does not merit a life change. Okay. So you know, again, this is you have your own lives. You've often heard me say here on Boundless, I I always caution against people starting to date and all of a sudden they're just way enmeshed in one another's lives and they are giving up pieces of themselves and losing portions of their community because they're so into the other person. So you stay in your church, you attend your church, you serve in your church, you give to your church, you be part of that because this is still a very exploratory process and that is totally fine. That said, at the same time, I would highly recommend that you're like figuring out what his church experience is. You know, what church does he go to? Is it a legitimately Bible-believing, preaching and teaching church? Um, you know, examine your faith traditions. Are they compatible? Um, and then how flexible are each of you maybe when it comes down the road to someone having to make a decision or having to make some adjustments around church? Um, I had a friend who was kind of in this spot who she started seriously dating a guy and they were moving towards engagement. And they're like, OK, well, if we were to get married, someone's situation has to change because, again, we would never encourage people to go to separate churches after they're married. And so um, the thing was. She was from a much more charismatic background, and her fiancé-to-be or serious boyfriend was um, very much from a more liturgical background and, and doctrinally a little bit different from where she was. Well, they ended up getting married. And they both gave ground. So she flexed um, in the doctrine, and she actually ended up growing to love uh, the specific doctrines of his faith tradition and just saw the richness in some of the stuff that she learned from his pastors. And, and as they both grew into that church, that's the one they ended up attending. But he definitely had to flex in style. And so, and it was kind of helpful because the church they ended up going to, while still being a little more traditional, uh, had some contemporary elements to it. But she had to give some ground in that as well. And so uh, flexing in both, um, you know, uh, both situations uh, has to be done. Now that said, while you are dating, I think it is very valuable to share your church experiences with one another, visit one another's churches. Maybe there's something apart from your normal church life that you can join in in each other's churches. So maybe it's you can be in the same small group together with one of the churches. You can go to a midweek service. You can do a church event with your boyfriend, um, with the person you're dating. Um, social events, obviously, are very good to do, too. So don't be so stuck in your ways or superior-minded in regards to your own church that you're not willing to discover uh, the person uh, that you're dating, that you're willing to discover their church as well, and appreciate that. Because again, there are some absolutes about church doctrine, about preaching, about the authority of scripture and everything that's going to play out. But there's a lot of wiggle room uh, when it comes to stuff that's lesser on the scale of importance. And so, um, but there you have it. Those are my thoughts on the church issue. Hopefully this will be encouraging to you and give you maybe some steps for moving forward in this area. And you can be hopeful in the future as it plays out. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. Uh, something that I do want to make you aware of is the fact that we are looking for a team member at Boundless. Have you ever wanted to work at Boundless and maybe live in Colorado Springs, gorgeous Colorado Springs? Well, we're looking for a project administrator. Um, it's currently a, an almost full-time temporary position, but is, uh, can go to regular full-time pretty quickly. So we would love for you to consider it. If you go to focusonthefamily.com, you can search under About in careers and uh, look at the position there and apply for it and hopefully maybe one of you our boundless fans will end up being part of the boundless team all right folks that's it for this week's show i'm lisa anderson i will see you around next week for the boundless show the boundless show is a production of boundless.org focus on the family <laughs>